Well, I'm so glad each of you are here today. I'm so glad you decided to come to the Bridge Goldsboro and hang out at least for a little bit uh, on your Sunday. Um, We have been in a series called I Am Blessed, and I don't know if this is your first time here during the series or if you've uh, been here during the other messages, but I have been blessed in study for this. Have you been blessed by hearing some of the messages that have come out of this series? Yeah. And so it's, it's not my words, it's Jesus' words. That's what's beautiful about this. We all get blessed when we become more like Christ and we adhere to what he says. And really the bottom line of this series is I am blessed despite what my circumstances might look like. And we've been taking uh, some time to really kind of think through this. It, being blessed isn't about what happens around me. It's not about circumstances. It's about having the right spirit inside of me. And when I get that right, it's, it's interesting how my life begins to be blessed. And Jesus, in the book of Matthew, chapter 5 through 7, uh, he talks through and teaches through what has come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount, arguably one of the most important messages, if not the most important sermons that Jesus ever preached. And in the beginning of this, he goes through some attributes about what it means to be blessed. And it's interesting that the attributes that he describes aren't necessarily the attributes that we consider blessings. Um, And it's not that we try to be like these things, but we we begin to understand that these are the attributes that Jesus took on himself. And so we're not trying to be certain things. We're actually trying to become more like Jesus Christ and striving to become uh, like him. And when we do that, we find ourselves being these things. We find ourselves being poor in spirit. We find ourselves being meek. We find ourselves sometimes going through a season of mourning and understanding that, you know what, because we're becoming like Christ in this, We are blessed. So today, we're going to tackle what verse 7 says in Matthew 5. And this is what Jesus says. Let's dive right in. Are you ready? He says this, Blessed are the merciful. Say merciful. For they will be shown mercy. So in modern day terminology, it says, If you want to be blessed, then treat people the right way. All right. See you guys later. Thanks for coming today. I can really stop there because that's, what, that's how simple this is. We're going to unpack this a little bit, but that's really what it is. If you want to be blessed, then you need to do something towards other people, treating them the right way. Have you ever needed mercy? I think everybody needs to be shaking their head yes. Okay, This is going to be one of those messages where you participate. You don't just spectate. So if you don't participate, I will pick on you. Okay. Have you needed mercy before? Have you ever needed to give mercy and show mercy? You know what? Jesus knew we did, both of those. And so he said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You, you give mercy and you receive mercy. You need both. But it's interesting that when Jesus said this, he was standing in front of a group of people that were living in a culture that was the opposite of mercy. In fact, the culture that he lived in was one of the meanest on earth, legalistic, hardcore with just rules and regulations and and lording it over each other, self-righteousness and lording that over each other. Uh, Jesus actually called what was supposed to be the people leading them, the religious crowd of the day, he called them a den of snakes. Like they just are are corrupt. One time he called them, you whitewashed sepulchers. I know you've called somebody that recently, right? It's like, it's like, you're, it's like you're, you're washed and clean on the outside. A sepulcher is like a cup. And on the outside, you're all pristine and nice. But on the inside, you're disgusting and you're dirty. And so he, this is just literally one of the meanest cultures on earth. And he says there is a right way that we're supposed to treat people. And that is to be merciful. And when you do, you find yourself blessed. Does that sound like, like a culture that we live in today sometimes where their, their mercy needs to be given, but no one's given it? 
Maybe a relationship you're in where mercy needs to be given or received and, and it's not happening. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? And so Jesus is talking to us today about being merciful and we're blessed when we are. And, and I want to take uh, the opportunity this morning in our time together to, to do two things. One, let's define what mercy is. Let's talk about what it is. And then two, let's talk about four ways that we know that we're actually being merciful. Because I think sometimes we do things in life and we think we're being merciful and we're really not. And then sometimes we're, we're, we, we are being merciful. But maybe our heads are spinning in a situation and, and we really don't realize we are. So, and, and as we do this, I want to kind of take some time to evaluate. Not condemn, and I don't want, because you're going to evaluate yourself and have self-awareness. Say self-awareness. Self-awareness. You know what self-awareness does? It points you to a solution. Self-awareness gets you to a place where you can say, you know what, I know what I need to do next. It points you to a solution. Self-condemnation leads you to guilt. It makes you just spin in what you're not doing right, and it pours on guilt. So we're not going to condemn ourselves today. This is a no-judgment zone. We are going to self evaluate and have self-awareness today about, about what's happening when it comes to being merciful in our lives. So let's start with the definition. What is the meaning of mercy? What was Jesus talking about when he said, be merciful? Uh, in order to get the right context of the Bible, you have to go back to the original language the Bible was written in. And so when we look at the New Testament, we look at the Greek. Um, and so what, when he said, be merciful, the New Testament Greek word for mercy actually meant to show compassion by word or by deed. It's, it's doing something, showing compassion. And if you look at the Old Testament word for, uh, for mercy, it's actually in Hebrew. And this is, it has the context of being able to get into somebody else's skin. Now, today what we would say is to be able to walk in somebody else's shoes, to understand where it is that they're coming from. So when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, this is what he was really saying. Look at it. It's on the screen. Merciful people are those who seek to understand someone else. I think some of us just need to digest that. <laughs> We're actually seeking to understand somebody else, walk in their shoes, and put compassion to action. When I'm being merciful, the kind of mercy Jesus was talking about, I am actually seeking to understand somebody else, and I'm seeking to put compassion to action. So where do we get the template for what that looks like? Where, whose example are we supposed to follow when it comes to that? God's. God is the example. He is the source of mercy. So Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9, this is actually one of many scriptures in the Bible that talks about God and His mercy, but it says God is all mercy and grace. Who He is, it encompasses Him. It's, it's not just something He gives, it's, it's who He is. Not quick to anger, but He's rich in love. God is good to one and all. Everything He does, say everything. Not 98.9%. Everything God does is suffused with grace. Simply put, God is merciful to us all. So if we're going to talk about being merciful, we have to look to God as the source because He is mercy. Now, that said, we're going to evaluate how we, how we take that in. We're going to be self-aware about what's going on in our lives. And, and we're, going, we're going to evaluate ourselves. And we're going to do that through four lenses of mercy. You ready? Like nobody's ready right now. Everybody's like... we. Okay, here we are. It's four things. Number one, say number one. Here's the marks of mercy. When I'm merciful, I'm patient with others. I'm patient with others. Let me tell you something that you already know. In life, there's going to be people that are strange to you. Some of them are with you this morning. 
But the fact is, is that every person in this life, they do things a certain way, and there's a logic to the way they do it. And sometimes other people do things in their own logic that is so weird to you. And you can't figure out for the life of yourself why they do it. You can't figure, as a matter of fact, you can't even figure out why anybody else would look at them and say, that's logical. It just seems so ridiculous to you. Did you know that everything someone does makes sense to them? But sometimes they do it and it just, it doesn't make sense to you. How do you deal with somebody like that? Because typically what happens is when somebody does something that is so ridiculous or they think a certain way and they want to do things a certain way, we, we, we back up and we build a wall. And that wall might be, you know, I'm just going to pull myself out of this situation and not deal with you. Silent treatment, I'll ignore you, do things my own way. Or if the relationship is close enough, you, you just dig right into them and say, you know what, you shouldn't do it that way because that way is stupid and you shouldn't do it. You should do it my way and I'm going to try to infuse my opinion onto you. And so, so how, how do you deal with people when they do things that their logic doesn't line up with yours? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 says this, always, say always, always be humble and gentle and be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults. Because of what? Because of your love. Where do we get that? We get that from God. In other words, to be equipped to be able to give somebody something in this arena means that I have to go to the source of what I need to be equipped with. You don't have it by yourself. You got to get it from God. And you may say, you know what, of course, I'm always patient with everybody. And that may just be part of your personality. But if I'm honest with you, there's a lot of us in the room that really need to work on this. We do. Can, can I just tell you the soft truth? God wants to use you in ways that you don't even know yet because you haven't gotten able in this area for him to use you. And that's kind of a vague way to say it. But there are so many things that God wants to do in you, levels that he wants to take you in life, places that he wants to do. I'll just say this, relationships that are going to boost you to the next place, but you haven't gotten it together when it comes to patience. And so God's not putting those relationships in your life. He's not putting those ties in your life right now because you don't know how to handle them. And God is saying, you know what? You got to get, get to a place where you're humble and gentle, being patient with each other. Have you, have you become patient with other people? Let me, let me tell you how real fast. A couple things you can think about. One, learn other people's backgrounds. You know what happens when you learn somebody else's background? and you don't just see the thing they're doing, but you actually take time to learn where somebody comes from, your opinion of them and what you know about them will be able to shift. And you won't see them as the idiot with the bad idea, but you will see them as somebody that actually has logic. And, and, and maybe something in their background is, is the reason why they are acting the way they are. And you won't just see, you know, look how far they have to come, go. But you'll be able to say, you know, look how far they've come. You'll be able to see this as a person with value. Learn their background. It helps you to be patient. And secondly, look beyond their external behavior. Look beyond the stupid that you think is so dumb and crazy and see some internal pain that could be there. Now, that's, that's a little bit deep, you may say. But in my experience, is the people that, that need patience the most are often the people that have the hardest hurts in their life. They have anxiety way down deep. They have, they have pain. They have depression, loneliness. Sometimes people are suffering with guilt. And the fact is, let me get a little psycho psychological on you. A lot of times we in life, we make decisions on the surface that have to do with relationships that are really tied and tethered down to a hurt that happened in us sometime before. And so we're, we're shooing people away because somebody hurt us way back here. 
dad left the family and abandoned us all, so I'm going to only get so close in a relationship with a man before I turn him away. And, and that's deep, but that really happens. The, the best things happen whenever we begin to understand and be self-aware that decisions we make on the surface are t- tethered often to hurts and depressions, anxieties that happened some time ago. And so when you're dealing with somebody like that and they just seem stupid and they seem dumb, sometimes it helps just to understand, you know what, the way they're acting, it may be because something happened in their past. And, and I, as a patient person that is growing in mercy, need to understand that about people, that everybody has a past. Merciful people find a way to be patient because they know something's going on on the inside of people. So they realize that people are hurting and they seek to try to understand them, to walk in their shoes, and they seek to put compassion to action. Now here comes the fun part. Let's evaluate ourselves. <laughs> Where are you in this? One to ten, where are you? One being, you know what? I have absolutely no tolerance for people. None. Like, literally, my fuse is short. I have no tolerance for people. Give yourself a one. Maybe you look for reasons, but your tolerance is still low. You kind of look for for ways that you can kind of be patient, but your tolerance is still low. Maybe give yourself a three or a five, depending on what that is. Or or maybe you would say, you know what? Every time I get involved with people and they do something that's really dumb or really stupid, I I literally look for reasons, look for the best in them. And sometimes I try to look through their, 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 uh, their decisions on the surface, and I try to understand them, try to understand where they're coming from. Give yourself a 10. That, that's where you are. So where are you? Remember, this is the moment where I say this is, this is a, not a, a condemnation zone. This is a self-awareness zone, okay? Now, if you're writing numbers down on your notes, do not look to the left or right to see what your spouse is doing, okay? And, and whatever you do, do not correct their number. <laughs> so this, this is a no-judgment zone. This is self-awareness. This is for you. So if I'm merciful, I'm patient with other people, but I'll also forgive those who fall. Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. And that means, you know what? I forgive those who fall. When, when people mess up, is it your first inclination to rub it in or to blot it out? It, it kind of goes against the grain of our nature to accept somebody who falls or to, to, to blot out what they've done. Do you hold it over their heads? Do you never let them off the hook? Maybe you'd say, you know what? I let them off the hook but I like to hit them a couple times with it just to make sure they understand before I let them off the hook. Um, is, is that what Jesus said? Eventually let them off the hook? Eventually be merciful? No, he said, and he said, be merciful. Always bearing with each other. Merciful people forgive. Colossians 3.13, Paul reminds us, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And then here's the kicker. He gives us something to compare it to so he knows we're doing this the right way. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How did God forgive you? Did he hold it over your head and make you stare at it so that you could condemn yourself for a little while before he forgave? No. He forgave you full and complete, made you whiter than snow, the Bible describes it as. It's amazing about forgiveness. When we're called to receive it, it feels so right. But when we're called to give forgiveness, it feels so wrong. 
man, when, when, when we're ready to receive forgiveness, oh, it feels so good. But when we actually have to think about giving forgiveness to somebody who's wronged us, it feels so wrong. I'm glad forgiveness is not a feeling. And I'm certainly God didn't wait till he felt like it to forgive me. But forgiveness isn't a feeling. Forgiveness is an action, hear me, that leads to an attitude in life that you live out. It's not a one-time thing that you did and then you live the rest of your life forgetting about it or saying, it's an action that leads to an attitude. Because how many of you know when you forgive somebody, especially if they've really wronged you hard, that the feeling doesn't go away. You might say you forgive, but guess what? On day four, sometimes on hour four, the feeling comes back up and you have the same feelings as if they had hurt you just now. And you're forced with, what are you going to do? Are you going to try to forgive again or beat yourself up because you can't do it? Or is it going to be an, an attitude that you live out? I heard somebody tell me this one time when I was, I was struggling with this myself. I've never forgotten it. I'm going to pass it on to you. I want you to, to write this down. It's not on the screens if, if you're taking notes. When you forgive somebody, especially when it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to try and do that and very difficult and the emotions are still there and you're constantly being bombarded with the feelings of resentment and bitterness, you need to do three things. One, you, you need to remind yourself that you already forgave. And that's important for you to do because sometimes we can beat ourselves up and go, well, I thought I forgave, but this is so hard and maybe I didn't forgive. And may No, remind yourself you already forgave. You did it. It's, it's an action you did. I've already forgiven this person. Secondly, this is important, remember yourself at the foot of the cross needing forgiveness and God saying, I forgive you. That's important. And then thirdly, because you still have those emotions and they're real, remind, bring them to God and say, God, I give you these feelings right now and these thoughts because I can't deal with them myself. Left to my own vices, I will act on this stuff. I need you to take them. So when those feelings come up, remind yourself, I've already forgiven Tell your, tell your emotions, tell your mind, speak that into you. I've already forgiven. I'm not going to rehash this in my mind as if I don't know what's going on. I've already forgiven. Remind myself, God, I, I remember what it was like needing your forgiveness and you gave it to me. And that's what I'm going to use to go forward. Now take these, these feelings, this is the third step, and, and take them and do something with them because I can't deal with it. I need you to help me. Those three things. Now, I've, I've heard of people, and it's sad to say, they go through life and they say, you know what, I would forgive, but they need to learn their lesson first. And I'm sorry, but it's not your job to teach anybody a lesson. It's just not. Or, or they may say, I, I would forgive, but, you know, if I forgive them, then they're going to think it's not that big of a deal. What they did, and, and I, I just got to say, merciful people understand that you get what you give. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown Mercy. Or, or listen, here, here's a hard one. And here's, you got to be careful here. I, I would forgive, but they need justice. And you got to really be careful when you start demanding justice, or you just might get justice. Like the lady who got pictures made and her, got her portrait and got them back, didn't like them, and she took it back to the place and said, you know what, these pictures don't do me justice. And the person behind the counter said, lady, you don't need justice, you need mercy. Some of you will get that in just a minute. What would happen if you treated the fallen people in your life with forgiveness? What would happen? Yeah, it's much easier to criticize them. Yeah, it's much easier to, to, to give them what they need or what, what you feel like they need rather than to sympathize with them. But God said it's the merciful who receive mercy. So what, what, what are you doing with that? And I, I just want to clear the air for some of you because some of you, you can't separate forgiving and accepting what they've done. 
condoning what they've done. You, let, let me just clear the air for you. Forgiving someone doesn't mean you condone what they've done. Forgiving somebody means you take your hand off their throat. And that's the most freeing thing you could ever do. So I, I just want to evaluate right now. Where, where are you at in this? Where are you? Maybe you would say, you know what? I pray every morning, God, give me the grace to be a forgiver today. And no matter what happens, I choose to be a forgiver. I remember what you've done for me. And I promise and I, I vow I'm going to give these thoughts and feelings to you today. Give yourself a 10. That is a 10 all day long. The, the opposite side of that is, is whenever people fail, I never forgive because it's the principle of the thing. Give yourself a zero. Maybe you'd say, I forgive, but truth be told, I make them squirm first. <laughs> and there's people that do that. They, they hold for themselves the right to kind of let them feel it for a minute. But you know what? If that's you, then, then, then give yourself a one. Because you know what? True forgiveness doesn't have a timeline. Maybe you would say, I, I pray that I need, that I would receive God's grace daily to forgive. Maybe you're not quite there yet, but, but your heart is, God, I need you to help me. Give yourself a five because you're starting in the right place at this point. Now it's not about you doing an action or a one time. It's about a heart that says, I need to be a forgiver. So where, where are you at? One through ten. Figure out where you are. Write it down. Think of it in your head. If I'm merciful, I'm patient with others, and I forgive those who fall. Thirdly, I help those who are hurting. When I'm merciful, I help those who are hurting. Proverbs 3.28 says this, If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, Hey, come on back tomorrow, and I'll help you then. Not when you can help them now. He's saying mercy is practical assistance. It's doing something now. And guess what? There's people all around you who are hurting. They, they're in need. You see it all the time. Uh, in people. Now, sometimes you don't, especially in a place like this, because it's really easy to come and put on a front. How you doing, Pastor Ryan? I'm doing great. <laughs> right? I'm not going to sit here and unload on you, and you're probably not going to do the same on me. Why? Because this is a great place to put on a fake smile. And so sometimes we don't get to see people's hurts here. We don't, we don't know the needs that people have here. But it's, it's interesting. The, the truth is, is that people have needs all around you because people are hurting all around you. And we have to be a people that learn to look past the facade and learn to see other people's needs. And get this, actually care about it enough to do something. Brace yourselves. 1 John 3.17, <laughs> full disclosure, brace yourself. It says, this, if anyone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need and refuses to help... How can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us stop saying we love each other and really show it by our actions. Now, that's a tough one because that's what really being a Christian is all about. And sometimes we find ourselves in that rock and hard place. We're trying to figure out if we really should or, or could or, or want to and, and call ourselves Christians. And he calls us out right here. But really, that's what God's church is all about. John 3.16, a, a, a verse you've probably heard, a, a big quoted verse. Uh, he, God so loved the world that he, that he gave. He loved, and then he, he didn't give first and then try to figure out a way to love later. It, the reason he gave was because he loved so much. He loved so much that it drove him to give. Give what? Give everything. Give his only son, Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be loving in such a way that drives action. Did you know that love is always giving? Nothing about love takes. Not according to the Bible. Love always gives. In our vision statement, I don't know if you've read it lately, uh, we all need to refresh ourselves from time to time. Part of that says that we are a hospital for the hurting. 
You know what that means? It means we're a place that people can come that are hurting and can get help. And it doesn't necessarily mean money all the time. I'm not asking you to empty out your pockets all the time and help people that way. Sometimes it's a material need. But other times it's an ear. Other times it's just availability. Sometimes it's a prayer. Sometimes it's your influence in somebody's life and, and they need you. But are, are you somebody who looks past the facade of people and recognizes needs, not just that, but then desires and seeks out a way to help? Merciful people help those who are hurting. I hate to admit it, uh, sometimes today we're more like the old comedian Flip Wilson who was asked what religion he was. He said, I'm a Jehovah's bystander. <laughs> but that's, that's not what Jesus taught us. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Remember the story that Jesus taught about the, the good Samaritan? Remember that? What was Jesus saying? Blessed are those who care enough to get involved and do something. So I want you to evaluate yourself. Where are you at in that? If you would say, you know, I, I don't know anyone that's hurting. Let me be real with you. You got some ground to cover because there's people all around you that are hurting. Give yourself like a minus five. <laughs> because that's essentially saying there's nobody around me that hurts. But the fact is, is that it's not about the people being around you. It's about you looking through the right lens to see that people are hurting. And that's really the first step before you can ever do anything about it is learn to recognize that people have needs. People hurt. God, the people you put in front of me today, help me to see the need and help me to do something with it. Maybe you'd be somebody that says, I, I see hurt all around me. And the first call I make is Pastor Ryan. Or the first call I make is to my bridge group leader because it's their job to do it, not mine. Well, give yourself a one, uh, first of all, because Jesus called everyone to be merciful, not just me. And secondly, you overload my schedule when you do that. <laughs> God puts plenty of people in my life. A lot of them are right here in this church. But you know what? God calls us to live in community with each other, not just community with me, with each other. Are you even involved in a community of people within this church that you can actually see needs and help? Or is Sunday morning what you call Christianity? Maybe you'd be someone that says, you know what? I constantly look to help the hurting that I come across. That's just my goal in life. I wake up in the morning and, and maybe it's not natural all the times, but I, I, I pray, God, help me to see the need. And then I actively do something about it. Give yourself a 10. If I'm merciful, I'm patient with others. If I'm merciful, then I'm forgiving the fallen people in my life and I'm helping the hurting. Sin number four, I do good to those who are not good to me. It's probably the toughest one, I'd say. I'm being merciful. That, that means I'm, I'm doing good to those who are not good to me. And if we really let that sink in for a minute and that person comes in your head, <laughs> we're all thinking the same thing. Let's just skip this one. Let's, let's just go, go to the next one. You know what, you know what Jesus said in, in Luke 6, 33? He said this. He said, if you do good only to those who do good to you, is that so wonderful? Even sinners do that much. That hurts. It hurts my feelings. I'm sure it hurts yours. But he, he literally equates, he equates doing good with people that do good to you. He puts that right next to people that willingly live apart from God. Sinners. He's saying that the good you do to those who do good to you is not an accurate measurement of how Christ-like you are. I, that, that, needs to, to, that went in me like a dagger. Like, what, are you kidding me? The, the, the measurement that I'm supposed to use on how Christ-like I am, that I can't, I can't use being a pastor for that? 
I can't use, you know, doing good for people that are, are nice to me or that are neutral, at least, who aren't out to get me. I mean, to be sure, God, when I stand before you one day, you know, I've, I've done a lot of things for, for you. But he's saying, you know what, Pastor Ryan, the, 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 the measuring stick for how Christ-like you are, how much like me you are, isn't measured in how good you do your pastoral duties to a group of people that love you. And that's true for all of us in the room. If you want to measure your Christ-likeness, if I want to measure my Christ-likeness, look at what he says in verse 35. Love your enemies and do good to them. And we don't do that naturally. Verse 36 says this, you must be compassionate. And here's how, just as your father is compassionate. And he's saying like father, like son, merciful, putting compassion to action. And, and, and the crazy part about it is, is that's the opposite of what we've been taught our whole lives. It's the opposite of what we feel naturally to do. When we feel like we've been wrong, the natural thing is to either withdraw and do nothing or to lash back out and stick it to them because they deserve it. Now, I know all you good, smart Christians, you found ways to stick it to them without getting your name out there. You, you, we, we do. As Christians, we, we find ways to, uh, to, to let people understand and know that they've been wronged and to hurt without actually doing it in such a way that brings attention to ourselves. There's a comedian that says that we even have Christian cuss words <laughs> that we can use in such a way that, that, that doesn't really cross the line language-wise, but oh, in our hearts, it's something different. It's not natural to do good to those who don't do good to us. But God says, you know what? If, if all you do is good to people that do good to you and, and you kind of react to the people that don't do good to you, then you're actually a reactor, meaning that they, are, they have control over you. All they have to do is do the right thing. Sometimes all they have to do is just show up and it causes you to do something that causes you to go a place in your mind that you can't control. So you essentially become a slave to them. But he says there's a big difference in that and being a proactor, meaning that people that do wrong to us, I get to decide what I'm going to do. I get to decide what thoughts I let stay in my mind. I get to decide where my mind goes and what I do. And God calls that a proactor, someone who decides in advance what loving, merciful, uh, what the loving, merciful thing to do is and actually does it, regardless of who the other person is, regardless of what they say, regardless of what they've done. Mercy means I'm proacting. Mercy means I'm doing it like God would do. And that's hard. But he says that's, that's what mercy is. So I want you to just evaluate yourself for a minute. Remember, no self-condemning today. No judgment. This is self-awareness. Where are you in that? If you would say, you know, I, I live my life proacting. I live my life in such a way that I, I realize offense is a choice that I get to make. It's not something somebody does to me. Offense is my choice. And I get to decide if I'm going to be offended and if I'm going, and, and I, I want to proact. I am going to be merciful and I am going to do good despite what somebody does to me. Give yourself a 10. And then after that, I want you to sign up to teach a class during the week so we all can come and learn from you. Because that's hard, man. I don't know of anybody that just 100% like that all the time. Maybe you are, and that would be great. Influence other people in your sphere of influence because we need more of that. Maybe you're somebody who would say, I, I don't always succeed at doing good to those who don't do good to me, but man, am I trying. Man, am I on this pursuit. Man, am I laying my heart down before God every day. I'm not all there, but I, I'm, I'm, my heart is in the right place and I'm trying. Give yourself somewhere middle of the way, between a three and a seven or so. Where, where are you in that? 
Or maybe you would say, I treat others the way they treat me. And, and, and honestly, this is the hard thing. Some of us are really unapologetic about that. You want me? You want me to be nice to you? Then you got to be nice to me. And we live our lives that way, and that mantra is nothing like Christ. Nothing. And the, the measuring stick that we're supposed to be using according to the Word of God isn't how much good we do for other people or how much money we throw at charities or, or, or how, how good we do to other people that are good to us. The measuring stick is what do we do when the rubber meets the road and somebody comes into our life who wrongs us? That's when God starts to look. That's when how much Christ-like we are actually brings itself to the surface. That's when our true colors are shown. That's tough. That's hard. Am I right? Where are you at? Maybe you'd say, Ryan, I hear you. I, I believe that. You know, you, you get what you give, but I've tried that, and I'm just, I'm just not that kind of person. It just doesn't come naturally for me. And I just want to tell you, of course it doesn't, because you're human. And that's not an excuse, because it doesn't come naturally for anybody. It didn't come naturally for me. It doesn't come naturally for you. It didn't come naturally for Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or Moses or Peter or anybody else who walked this planet that was a human being. Mercy does not come naturally. It's something that we have to learn. So today, I just want to give you a couple of motivators as you walk out of here today to be merciful in your life. Are you ready? The first one is this. We got to be merciful because God has been merciful to you. And I need you to hear me loud and clear because that's really the template. That's really it. You have to start there. Because when the time comes to be patient, when the time comes to do good to other people that aren't doing good to you, when the time comes to forgive, when the time comes to give up your resources, whether it be your time, your talent, whatever it is, and give to somebody else to help them, you're not going to know how. You need to hear me loud and clear. It is not natural for you to be merciful. You are going to need a template to follow. And I say template on purpose because you need some type of example, some type of template to go by. Because when you get in these situations and your emotions flare up, and they will, you are not going to know what to do. I always think it's funny, and not funny in a bad way, but there's a reason why we have people when we do baptisms here that are there to help people get out of the pool and show them where to go. And here's the reason why. We have a pre-meeting, we have a meeting before service, and then we tell them again. But we always have somebody there. And the reason is because when someone gets their, their mind all out of whack and they're wet in front of everybody and they get out, they don't know what to do. And so we have somebody there to help them. And the same kind of thing happens when we get into a situation in life and, and, and our minds and our, our emotions are going crazy and we know the right things to do. We know what the Word of God says, but then our minds go haywire. And it's in that moment you don't know what to do. And if you try to do what you feel, you're going to mess up. You have to follow a template. And I think that's the first step is you admitting and me admitting that we're human beings and we're not naturally merciful. We have to learn that from somebody else. And that somebody else is Jesus Christ. Here it is. Listen in Romans 5, 8. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. That's the template. That's the example. While we were still needing patience, while we were still needing to be, uh, to be saved, while we, we, we were sinning, while we were still hurting, while we weren't doing anything good for God, that's when he decided to come and save you. And some of you are waiting. I, I need to wait to give mercy until they're deserving of it. I need to wait to give mercy, wait to be vulnerable and lay myself out there until they've done something, they've, they've crossed this step in order to deserve it. And I'm just telling you, that's not God's template. That's yours. And if I'm being honest with you, that's your insecurity. 
That's your unwillingness to be vulnerable. And God is saying, that is not how I treated you, and that is not how you're supposed to treat them. Not if you're going to measure Christ's likeness in your life. But mercy is described as putting yourself out there, giving somebody what they need, not what they deserve. And, and the only template that we have, the only one we should go by, is what Jesus did for you. Imagining yourself at the foot of the cross, needing grace, but deserving death, deserving hell, being an imperfect human being. You cannot be deserving of a perfect God and a perfect heaven. Oh, but the grace of Jesus Christ and the mercy that the Father gave us through him. You, 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 and so when you look at other people, you, what, what are you going to do? Do something different than what Jesus did to you? We can't do it. Not and be Christ-like. While well, we were still needing mercy, still had our backs turned to him, that's when he was merciful to you. And if you don't start there, if you use any other template, if you, if you, if you don't look in the mirror and imagine yourself at the feet of Jesus needing his mercy, then mercy won't make sense to you whenever you get in situations where you don't want to give it. It won't. And the best of us in the room won't be able to do anything that we've described. It is not about having a right feeling. It is not about a principle or the right timing. When you don't want to be merciful, you have to look at what God did for you and use that as a template for what you're going to do next. Are you hearing me? I feel like I could just say that over and over because without that, you won't have what it takes. You, you won't. You need an example. And if I'm honest with you, I fail at this at times. I do. I think it's safe to say that every one of us do. But that doesn't mean we should stop trying. What did Jesus do for you? In the moment where you're the most angry, in the moment where the, your emotions are flaring, I would even say in the moment where you think you have your head on right and you're going to make a decision based on principle. Layer it back over the template of Jesus Christ. Is that what he did for you? And is that what he's asking you to do now? And if it doesn't line up, you need to wait. You need to wait to make that phone call. You need to wait to send that email. Sometimes the most unused button is save as on email. Take a walk around the block. Take a nap. Do something. Wait. Don't do anything. Because once you get it out there, once you act, once you speak, guess what? You can't take it back. And if that ends up being what you're supposed to do later, then fine. You can do it. But don't, don't misuse it. Don't put it out there and it be something that God didn't want you to do because that wasn't showing mercy. Some of you have received mercy and you need to start giving it away. Some of you know what it's like to have mercy in your life because Jesus gave it to you. You've accepted that mercy and you need to start looking at other people through the same eyes of mercy. Who in your life need, needs your patience? Who in your life needs your forgiveness? Your forgiveness. Who in your life needs your help because they've been put in your sphere of influence? And you need to look past their facade and, and, and really, truly desire to help them. Who in your life needs your goodness? I can tell you right now, I'll say it again till I'm blue in the face. It won't make any sense to you humanly in the moment. So don't try to make sense out of it. But I want you to imagine yourself at the feet of Jesus, needing his mercy and him giving it to you. And then obeying him and giving it to other people. That's what he says. I want to kind of put this in perspective. I want to show you a picture of a man named Stephen Saint. And he's standing next to a guy um, whose name is Minkai. And Minkai is uh, a tribal leader in Ecuador. And this specific tribe, he's actually wearing clothes now, but if you saw this picture 20, 30 years ago, he wouldn't be wearing clothes. This is the kind of tribe it is, just completely off the grid, not even a part of the culture that we know really in any part of the world. 
They have a language all of their own. And, 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 and Stephen and his family uh, made large attempts to evangelize them, to share the love of Jesus with them. It took years. And what you see here today is a picture of Stephen and Minkai. And Minkai is actually now, he's a leader in his tribe, but he's also a pastor. He's one of the main people responsible for bringing the hope of Jesus Christ to his tribe. And he says, you know what? He says, what Stephen brought to us in his own language, he says this, he, he brought the marks of God. And if you can imagine them on a, on a trail hunting and you, you see the marks of the animal and that's how you hunt them, that's how you follow. That's how he was describing what Steve brought, the marks of God so that we, we know the path that we're supposed to follow to eventually be where he is. And in fact, Steve, eventually, he and his family went to go live with this tribe. That's how good the relationship got. That's how good the, the, the cultures came together. His kids see Minkai as a grandfather, and he sees those kids uh, as their, his grandchildren. Great man of God. In 1997, he actually brought Minkai to the States, and he goes all over the place speaking, and of course, Stephen translates for him. Great man of God. And what you don't know is Stephen's father, back in the 1950s, during that uh, decade, was one of the first men to try to bridge the gap. And they started just by flying an airplane over the tribe and dropping things out to try to share the love of Jesus with them. And Stephen's father was a part of that group. And when they finally felt like they were safe enough to go in there, Minkai, along with several other tribal leaders, speared Stephen's dad to death, along with four other missionaries that were with him many times speared them and they later found the bodies of these missionaries Stephen's dad included decapitated bodies completely ripped to pieces stab wounds all in them and floating in a river and somehow through the grace of God that I can't even describe he found a way in his heart not because he felt like it not because it was what he should have done in principle not even because it was the safest thing to do but have a love in his eyes, a fire in his heart that was unquenchable, a fire that grew hotter and bigger against the wind. We don't have that naturally. And went to this community, went to this tribe, and eventually was the reason why he and all the people in that tribe know the love of Jesus today. Why did I tell you that story? To say this, mercy is possible. And there are people in your life that need your mercy. And the, only the love of Jesus Christ can give it to them. You don't have in and of yourself what it takes. But just like Stephen was a, a, a gap filler for Minkai, and it wasn't him that did it. It was the love and mercy of Jesus Christ in Stephen's life. And it'll be the love and mercy of Jesus Christ in your life that gets you to that place where you're able to be merciful to somebody in your life that needs it. Some of you have received that mercy, and it's time for you to start giving it away. Some of you in this room today are listening online. You need that mercy in your life because you don't have it. And the first step for you to give grace to somebody else is to first fill up on that grace and mercy yourself. You can't give something to somebody that you don't have and you can't lead somebody somewhere that you haven't been. And so God is calling your name today and he knows your name. He knows, the Bible says he's so intimately connected to you that he knows the number of hairs on your head. And he died for you long before you were born, long before you knew you had a need of a Savior. He had you in mind. And he died for you for a moment just like right now. 
and he's calling your name. And I'm not here to convince you. I believe he's been doing it the whole entire time. And right now you feel him calling your name. You know there needs to be a change in your life. And I want to give you the opportunity right now to say yes to his mercy and his grace. Can we do that? Let's pray together. God, I, I, I know the people in the room right now. I know the people listening online. They're either, they they're, they're either have accepted you and accepted your mercy or they haven't. And so all the people in the room today that know they need to accept the mercy of God and make him Lord of their lives, would you pray this bold prayer with me? God, I need you, and I accept you. I am not a perfect human being. Therefore, I am, I am, I am not deserving of a perfect God and certainly undeserving of a perfect heaven. But I accept Jesus Christ as my sacrifice today. I believe he came to this earth and lived a sinless life and died for me, really died. I believe he was raised to life and I believe he's alive today. I believe he died for the sacrifice of my sins and he's alive today to give me life. And one day that life's going to be expressed in full when I get to heaven. But until then, there's this time called while I'm still here on this earth. And I don't have it all figured out. In fact, I still have questions, but I trust God to help me and to lead me. Jesus, I accept you. You said nobody comes to the Father except through me. I accept you as my way my only way. I trust the fact that you're going to help me do what I need to do and get exactly where I need to be at just the right time. I give you the authority in my life. Help me, God, every day from here on out. Lord, everybody else in the room and everybody else listening online, everything we've said today still takes guts and it takes something that we don't have in, in and of ourselves. And that is your power to help us see people the way we need to see them, to give them the mercy that we need to give them. So I pray for empowerment, supernatural empowerment, for wisdom for each person individually in the context of their situation and the people in their lives. I know it's vast, and I know the circumstances are vastly different. Some people are needing to forgive people that aren't even alive anymore, but they need to do that in and of themselves in their hearts. So God, I, I just pray for the wisdom. I pray for the encouragement. I pray for the peace that your word says passes every bit of understanding. And I pray for the empowerment to come right now and fill their minds, God. Point them to your word. And I pray that life change begins to happen even right now as I pray this prayer. So that when we walk out of here, we're on a journey going forward in mercy and in forgiveness and in help and in grace. Thank you, God, for hearing us today. I know that uh, as we walk out of here, we're still going to be human beings. And some of us are still going to be facing the exact same situations. The situation might not change, but the way we see it and what we do can. So give us the mercy and grace we need to pour out in our lives. In Jesus' name, can we say amen together? Amen. Really quickly, can we just give it up for everybody who said yes to Jesus Christ for the first time today? And I just want to say, if that's you, that's the most significant decision that you will ever make. And I'm telling you, we don't take that lightly around here. So let me challenge you, when you walk out of here today, don't let your starting line, what you've done, be your finish line. Would you take a second and let us know that you prayed to receive Christ? There's a Connect card close by. If you're listening online, you can send us an email and let us know. But there's a place that says, I prayed to receive Christ. Would you check that on your Connect card and let us know? We'll be praying for you, but we want to follow up with you. We want to talk about some next steps that you can take uh, to help you in this journey that you're starting today. Let us, let us come around you. For everybody else in the room, listen, that Connect card is for you. 
There's a place with a prayer request that you can put on there, a box that you can write in your prayer request. We'll be praying for you. Uh, Maybe you want to find out more information. We'd be happy to get that to you. You can do that on your Connect card. I do want to take a second before we leave and just say if you're here for the first time today or if you've been here and you're recently new within the month of June or so-ish, right now, right after the service, we're having a guest gathering, and that's uh, members of our staff are going to be out there. And we just want to take about 15 minutes or less just to meet you. It's one of the ways that we put faith with names and just get a chance to know who's new around here. We have a few snacks there for you and your kids to hold you over until you can get to your lunch. But 15 minutes, that's all we're asking or less. And we just want to meet you, put a face with a name, maybe answer some questions that you have. Guys, I love you. I'm so grateful for all that you're doing in this church. And I hope to see you next week. Have a great one.